Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Content warning. This episode contains content about disordered eating, fat phobia, body weight, and weight loss. It contains frank and open discussion from our guest on her lived experience and should not be heard as instructive or advisory in any way. For more information and resources on disordered eating, fat phobia or weight loss, we have some recommended reading and listening in the show notes. If conversations around weight loss, calories or disordered eating are triggers for you or just aren't for you, please give this episode a miss. G-A-L-D-E-M-G-A-L this song is good. Welcome to a brand new season of Growing Up with Galdem. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name is Niall Arboyne and I'm the life editor at Galdem. And I'm Natty Kasimvala, former editor and long-time contributor at Galdem. Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to sharing the perspectives of people of colour from marginalised genders. Each week, we invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Sara Jafari is a British-Iranian author and editor. She is a contributor to Galdem's essay collection, I Will Not Be Erased, Our Stories About Growing Up As People Of Colour, and Who's Loving You by Sarita Domingo. She also single-handedly runs Token Magazine, a literary and arts print magazine featuring underrepresented writers and artists, as well as working as an editor in children's publishing. Her debut novel, The Mismatch, is a beautifully written coming-of-age story, showing that love can be found in even the most unexpected of places. Published by Penguin Random House, her book is available to buy now. It is great to have you on the show. One of the OG, I will not be erased essayists. I feel like the last time I saw you, we were on a panel for it. And like Jason Momoa ran yeah, past. We were. 
We were at Comic Con as well. Yeah. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Sorry, what? <laughs> Sorry, what? Aquaman himself in the flesh. Apparently, and my head was turned the wrong way, and he just like shot across our talk. Mm. Was it um, Yalk? I think. Yeah. Yeah. And a panel. It was, like a pa- was it during the panel? He ran yeah, across. Yeah, he was like lost was. or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sprinted across our young adult <laughs> fiction panel. <laughs> That's incredible. I think I would pretend to be a DC fan if I met Jason Momoa. Damn, I'd be like, I love DC. I love DC comics. Reader, she does not. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to know a bit more about Token and how that kind of came to be. Yeah, sure. Firstly, thanks for having me. (laughs) But yeah, in terms of Token, like I founded it. I think it was in. 2017 now like quite a while ago but it kind of came from at the time when I was like when I created Token I feel like they were in publishing especially because I work in publishing and I think then I was kind of working in publishing I was like as a data archivist at Penguin but like I was kind of like on the outskirts but I was like still a part of like I like still went to like panels where people talked about like diversity in publishing and it was kind of at that point where like I felt like everyone was just talking about it all the time I think like Nikesh Shukla was saying it as well. He was like, he doesn't want to do any more panels about it because it's just too many people saying the same things, but nothing changing. Yeah, that's kind of why I began Token Magazine. I kind of just on a whim, like created the website and like called for submissions, but I actually got like really decent submissions and quite a lot. So that kind of like propelled me to continue with it and do it. And yeah, I think I've done about four or five issues now. The submissions I get are from such talented people and they've done such great things since. So yeah, I've not actually explained what Token is at all, but essentially it's a um, literary and arts print magazine that features underrepresented artists and writers. And there's a particular focus on kind of like newer writers and artists that so kind of like starting out in their careers and just kind of like really want to showcase their work um, through the magazine. That's amazing. I think it's such a like universal symptom of, you know, like we do have a habit of, well, I say we, I don't necessarily mean us or people like us. But people do have a habit to kind of want to keep dissecting these kinds of issues and like passing over the same subject matters and appearing to be doing the work without actually necessarily doing the work. So I think it's a really amazing concept. Have you found that that's been like your experience as a person, like even navigating through the publishing landscape? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's interesting because like obviously my book has come out, but at the same time, up until recently, I was also working at Penguin Children's in the editorial department. So it's just interesting being on the inside and the outside. I still think there's like a lot of, not necessarily my team to clarify, but I think generally in publishing, there's still a lot of talking. I think it's just every aspect of publishing that needs to be looked at. I think it's not even enough just to publish like authors of colour. I think like you can buy a book, but like how much are you spending on the book? Like are you paying them, are you paying the authors a fair amount or amount that they can live off? And then also how are you publishing it? Like I think that's something that I think needs to be discussed and assessed more in publishing like there is a tendency to just publish books by people of color like I don't know as if it's not by a person of color and just like targeting the same types of people that they would if it was by a white author and I don't think that works either basically I think it needs to be assessed not just acquiring books but actually like how are you going to publish it to reach the right readers and kind of like yeah yeah that's interesting I always only think about it from that kind of first layer of let's just get some more authors of colours in rather than all the stuff that kind of goes into that and what that actually looks like. Lots of food for thought. I was just going to say as well on that same line of thought, like I think what you just said about, you know, even when you market a book that's like about a different set of people, sometimes it's just marketed to the same people. I have heard a lot or read about, I guess, like that kind of notion in publishing that, you know, there's a certain type of person who still buys books in 2021. So I think that's a really interesting idea that, you know, like publishing as it expands what it's offering should also be looking to expand its audience as well, Mm. rather than just like selling everything to the same group of people. Yeah. And like acknowledging the audience that like, they've just not been acknowledging before. Like, I don't know. I think there's just this weird, I mean, I've heard it before. And like, I think it's like panels or something, this impression that like, not many people of colour like read as much as something which is like obviously clearly not true but it's like just acknowledging them I think as like a primary reader that they need to be marketing to. So we want to know yeah a bit more about the mismatch and how it came to be yeah so did you know about your parents experiences before you started doing research for it and if not what was it like to find out about their history along the way? 
So it's told in two points of view. So one of it is in like modern day London and the other is in 1970s, late 1970s Iran. And then it kind of goes forward all the way to present day Brighton. So it kind of shows like a long scape. But yeah, it was interesting researching about Iran because I'd always heard stuff from my parents about kind of, because they left around the time of the Iranian revolution, but it wasn't because of the Iranian revolution that they left. Like in the book, my mum also got a master's, um, like a scholarship to study at, I think it was Newcastle University. So she just came here and my dad kind of joined her a bit like in the book. But yeah, I've always heard about their time there and they have like conflicting kind of feelings about time when the Shah was like in power they have kind of like conflicting kind of feelings about it so it was quite difficult in the sense because if they were both saying this is how it was it'd be a lot easier because then I could be like okay this is how it was because they both had different views it meant I had to do like more research into it so I did a lot of research of like historical books of the time I also looked at a lot of pictures from that time period because I think I didn't really realize myself like how different it was when the Shah was in power, you know, like in the book that I mentioned, like there were calls for women to wear like mini skirts and kind of like things that, I don't know, you just can't imagine now in Iran, I think. So it was really interesting and it was really nice to kind of get, yeah, more context of like kind of my background um, through researching the book. Amazing. So interesting that they had two different opinions of their time there. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like a gender thing, I think, that they saw things differently, I reckon. It's probably why they have different like opinions of the time because my mum was saying like when the Shah was in power like men were really like they were like more leering towards women then and she always found it very uncomfortable whereas my dad obviously didn't see that part of it he didn't see that side that like maybe women did um, but that's obviously just them their opinions <laughs> yeah, that's super interesting yeah I think that always seems to be the case I think in terms of like from my personal experience my parents grew up in Malawi and there was a lot of history of dictatorship there and my parents are both on the same side of like how they remember that time but I think especially as you kind of time goes on your memories can kind of get shaped by like retrospect and hindsight and like things that you wish you had now so it's really interesting talking to like older generations about like how they remember it going and kind of like it gets you out of your own like echo chamber of like this is how the world should be and this is what's good and like this is awful and I definitely I watched as a kid Persepolis with the like film adaptation uh, yeah. of the comic and that yeah, yeah, yeah. that I was like that, such yeah. an amazing for me like a really amazing way of like yeah. learning a bit more about like the nuance of that whole revolution mm. I guess yeah, yeah did, really you, like did you watch it like as a kid growing up or anything no I actually it was it was when I was writing this book I think that like in 2018 or 17 that like I'd read the graphic novel then I watched the film as well yeah really like it so, so good I guess I was going to ask a bit more about what we were talking about before in terms of writers of colour and just I guess like the kind of not a burden that I feel is on them but like the kind of expectation of them to represent like their whole community or speak on behalf of their whole community and I just wanted to ask like how do you feel about slash how did you find that balance of kind of like honouring your specific story and what you specifically wanted to tell versus also still like holding space for like the community that you represent that is still so underrepresented in the publishing landscape. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's something I kind of thought about as I wrote the book. I was quite conscious that like obviously there aren't like a great deal of British Iranian authors being published at the minute. So there is like a lot of yeah. pressure essentially to kind of represent everyone, how they want to be represented, which obviously is kind of impossible. <laughs> But I think that is why in the book, essentially, there is like Saroya and Nedar's points of view. So we have two kind of different Muslim women's. And I, it was quite important to me to show two different Muslim Iranian women's and kind of their paths and how different they can be. I think in terms of the story, it's quite important. But also, that was something that I was quite conscious of in terms of like fairly representing kind of Iranian Muslims in a sense. I mean, obviously, there's still loads of people who won't relate to either of them because they are just two characters. But I did, I thought, because in the story, Soroya is not a practicing Muslim. And I think we see stories like that more often, I mean, in which she has like kind of a strict family. But similarly, that is, some of it is drawn on my own experiences. And I still think it's important to represent that. Just because growing up, I actually didn't see this narrative often, especially with a British Iranian Muslim. It's kind of very specific. So I definitely wanted to represent that. But similarly, I also wanted to show that obviously, you can choose to be a Muslim and it can be a really like powerful spiritual thing that like, I mean, in the story, it really helps Neda with like her anxiety and it makes her feel really like powerful. So I wanted to share that as well yeah. to kind of just show two sides. Yeah, basically. 
<laughs> yeah, I think you're so right. You do always see kind of like the person who they opt into the Western side and then that's it. It's like now they have to reject all of their culture, all of their family and they're at odds, but you don't necessarily always see. And that is totally valid as well, but you don't always see like, especially when it comes to like foreign cultures to the UK, you don't always see the, the yeah. opposite where someone actually finds like solace in it. Mm, yeah, definitely. So yeah, that was really important to show as well. Yeah, I was going to just say, yeah, from the media and kind of like, I guess even the representation I see of Muslim women seems very narrow or kind of one way or at odds with our idea of feminism and all these kind of just large and wrong kind of perceptions, usually by people who have no experience. So I think, yeah, your understanding of like your personal background as well as like using two characters I think that's a really interesting approach and I think we're moving to a place where there is more representation and better depictions of Muslim women so I'm super excited to read this. Thank you yeah I really hope so um so I think there just needs to be so many more books of like just showing the nuances of what it means to be like a Muslim woman because I think just like there's so many different ways like some of them are practicing some are kind of it's I don't feel like there's just so many nuances that we don't really see. So I really hope like in the future, there'll be more kind of stories told. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Content warning. This next section of the podcast may be triggering. It contains descriptions of weight loss, specific weights, and disordered eating. Please see our show notes for more information and resources. And if conversations on this topic are triggers for you, please give the rest of the episode a miss. All right, I think it's time to get into your extract, which, as I was saying just before we started recording, I'm not necessarily looking forward to dissecting it because I think it's like, it's an emotional and like like quite a sensitive subject, but I'm so like grateful for you for coming with such a like candid and like honest piece for us to hear. Could you give us a little bit of context before you read it out for us? Yeah, of course. 
So yeah, I was looking through like my diary entries and they kind of range from when I was like 11 years old until I was like 20, 21, like I was kind of journaling throughout that time. And the one that I'm going to read out, I just find it quite interesting because I didn't actually think that I had a particular problem with food and like weight until I read this and I was like, oh, it sounds like I have an issue basically. <laughs> I didn't think that I did. So I thought it was just quite interesting. And particularly with this extract, um, I find it interesting that like three months later, I reflect on it in the diary and I write like a little note to myself. But essentially, this was in 2012 when I was 19 years old. And it was during the summer between first and second year. And I was kind of on like basically a crash diet um, at that point and kind of like journaling about that. Will losing weight really give me happiness? What will I do if I am the ideal weight? What will my problem be then? The future feels distant and irrelevant when you're going through weight loss. Possibilities and dreams coming true all feel on hold. It feels as though my life will instantly get better once I'm slim. Yet fears creep in and scare the crap out of me. What if being slim isn't enough? Slowly I'm noticing how unimpressed I am by my appearance and I fear my facial features are the next thing I'll be trying to edit. I dream of being carefree and happy. Diets ruin my summer. I vow this will be the last fad diet I'm on because I'm tired of it and I look tired. I don't know how I feel regarding my weight at this point. I apparently weigh nine stone one, getting closer to eight stone, but it feels too good to be true. I feel like I may be potentially sabotaging myself by cheating. I keep attempting to today, but I had to force myself to reconsider. It's a strange thing, my relationship with food. I hate it, like totally loathe it. Yet when I feel down, I turn to it. I cannot stand people who try and tell me I'm skinny or okay as I am. Did people not say that to me when I was 13 stone four? Yes, it's been a journey and I'm aware it's ongoing. I just really want the body that I want this year. This year is different, I have to do it. Also, the people that say I'm fine, as I am, are so deluded, or just want me not to catch up with them. I say this because they are slimmer than me and yet still complain about their weight themselves. So if they woke up in my body, they would be gutted. They'd be mortified at having a large stomach and a thighs. And then three months later, like I like reflect on it and I say, wow, reading through my journal has surprised me. It's been three months and I have lost the weight. I'm more content, but also equally insecure. It doesn't change anything, nor is it the answer to becoming happy. Thank you for reading that. It's a bit weird. It just seems very dramatic, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of just, you know, it's, it's really vulnerable what you're saying there. Do you remember being aware of your relationship and your thoughts about your body and your weight? I feel like, you know, like, I don't think I've changed too much now. I have changed, but I think I've always been thinking about food and weight like throughout like my life and if I was looking back at my diary when I was 11 it was still an issue then like it was interesting when I was 11 it was me like writing my diary about people calling me like a fat packy basically most weeks and being upset about it so I think it's interesting that it's like obviously this stems from that but it was like eight years later this sounds like I've got kind of something kind of like an eating disorder basically which I never thought that I did which is why I thought it was quite interesting to kind of look into just like the idea of like diets ruining my summer and like I want to be carefree and happy like it just seems very toxic and sad. I was just gonna say I feel like at least in the west almost every woman or non-man has had some form of disordered eating. I think it's hard not to have had these thoughts. I think it's something a lot of us have thought about. It's around yeah. us everywhere so it's easy to yeah. like kind of not see that for yourself. Yeah, especially I think like with, like I was seeing it more on TikTok now, but like just especially like in, growing up like in the noughties kind of era where like even like people who are slim were considered fat or like were shamed front cover of like magazines. Like you see it now and it just doesn't make sense like how we saw things in a certain way and like believed what they were like basically telling us. But I think, yeah, I definitely think it's like a symptom of the times, I think. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, that was the question I had for the next one, which was kind of, did it feel like it was coming from something internal or did it feel like it was this external thing? Which I think you've kind of answered, like, in what you were saying, you know, the things that you were labelled as as young as 11, which is, like, so heartbreaking. And then, you know, we did have this, like, not even just normalised, like, literally glamorised diet culture that kind of dictated the type of body that we should all have and, 
you know, like nothing else was acceptable. And I guess I wanted to ask, like, do you feel like we are coming back around to a place that feels similar because of, you know, the age of Instagram and TikTok and all of that stuff? Or do you feel like the body positivity movement that's kind of come in to counteract that is doing the job that it's intended to do? It's interesting, so I'm not actually sure. I think with, like, Instagram, I don't know, with all, like, the filters, I think there is a different... Actually, I'm not an expert, but I feel like personally, I've noticed with Instagram, yeah. there's a lot more, like, focus on facial, like, features, and kind of, I feel like people are altering their facial features as a result of these filters. Even myself, like, six months ago, I was using those filters on Instagram, and then I started, like, Googling, like cosmetic surgery like the like the wondering like idly thinking oh, how much would it cost and I was like what why because I'm using these filters that make my nose like slimmer and my lips bigger like it's it's actually wild so I feel like that's like and that's something that feels bigger than it did when we were growing up I feel like the focus growing up was on bodies and being like as slim as possible with like Kate Moss saying was it nothing tastes as good as skinny feels that was like the saying I feel like that was then now I feel like there's a move towards facial features as if we like grew up in that time hearing those kind of things I remember getting like the free metro and stuff and just that middle like page and it was just mayhem and you didn't realize you were taking that kind of all in as your like kind of tween age and then yeah the damage it does later on is wild yes yeah it's terrible like, even the Kate Moss thing I think I printed it off and put it on my fridge and that just it's just actually she even like spoke about it recently saying that like she's shocked she said it basically I think she was just well, I'm glad she's done that <laughs> <laughs> before this I was just on Instagram and there was a woman saying something that I thought was very interesting basically she was saying about how like when we look in the mirror we should look in the mirror with intent like if you're going to curl your hair or like do something like put makeup on that's an intent but if you're just looking in the mirror to be like looking at your body like you shouldn't be doing that and I thought that was like interesting very interesting because yeah. I think I definitely do that like I actually won't even notice the details I'll just be like looking at like the shape and I'm like, oh. like there's no need we should be like looking with intent mm. at like what in the mirror it should be like a practical thing really shouldn't it <laughs> that is very interesting I've never been a fan of mirrors, like, and uh, yeah, TikTok's got me scared of mirrors now. <laughs> why? <laughs> really? Yeah, why? <laughs> They're just a lot of people just believe, yeah, how it's like kind mm. of like your double, and it's like more of like a window into another part of your soul and stuff like this, and just to not mess around too much with I don't yeah. like stuff like that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> sorry, when the I mirror just, starts. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd spread my fear, so I'm not alone. Sarah's just been like facing off with herself with her tethers in the mirror for like the last hour. Oh my god. So good intentions is good. What you said about having intentions. Is, yeah. mm. I always good. feel like it's a weird thing to say though. Like whenever I see other people looking into the mirror, I don't know whether it, what it is. I think like from my perspective, this is going to sound so obnoxious, right? But like I think for me, maybe it's because I'm. <laughs> a not skinny black woman who exists in a world where like that's like you know the last card on the table at the end but like vanity for me has been something that I'm like the day I'm vain like someone just sucker punch me out because I don't want to be it's so bad <laughs> like being vain is like my biggest fear mainly because it's like if I was to be vain it's like the world would still think I wasn't beautiful anyway so like what's the point but oh, I think you're beautiful anyway. you are beautiful oh, thank you so much but like so for me like when I see people look in mirrors it scares me. And when I look in the mirror myself, I find it. I'm like, I try to keep that to a minimum, especially in terms of my face. But what I definitely completely like relate to in your extract is that kind of like, there was one line that literally like got me in the gut because I feel like firstly, the whole time growing up as a kid, I was like in a similar space of like, you know, like, but this time I'm going to go away for summer and then I'm going to come back to school and they won't even recognize me. Like, no one will know who, who I am. I'm going to drop like three. Yeah, I did that every like, summer. This is the one though. Every this one feels different. And like that, yeah. that whole idea of, of that is just like, it's so heartbreaking, you know, like to go through, especially like some mm. of your best years where you have the least to worry about, you know, kind of putting these external pressures on yourself to like meet these goals that maybe like your body isn't even meant to meet. Maybe you need like 
Like the other day, I realised that one of the symptoms of like, especially young people who have ADHD, is like the eating sugary and high carb yeah. food. <laughs> my whole life, my family has like ragged on me for being like, why are you so obsessed with carbs and sugary things only? Like it's the only thing that I would like eat functionally. And it's like, there are all of these different contexts to why we do the things we do. But like when you're in it, you just think you're failing, you know? Yeah, I mean, all our bodies are different. They all have like different needs, but I think the problem is, is we're trying to all look the same, like yeah. with a certain like yeah. body shape, yeah. for example. But it's so interesting because when in this diary entry, like I actually did achieve my goal. I'm using like air quotes because like yeah. it didn't even like make me happy. Basically, like I think people noticed. People were like, "Oh my god, like you're so slim," and like you get mm. more attention being slim. But like I was actually the most miserable, I think, like during those two years in which I was the most slim, like I wasn't happy. So it's kind of like yeah. it doesn't really make you happy having that transformation, really, which is interesting. <laughs> Did you have anyone to, I guess, talk to about it? Because what I noticed is that you were at uni and I feel like when you're at uni, you're far away from your family. You can kind of just get away with doing some wild diets that like a parent might be like, what are you doing? And at least I think for me, that's when I was in my I'm in clean eating phase. I will only be eating things that I have seen grown from the ground. And it was still, when you think about it, quite like restrictive. But when you're away from your family, did you have anyone around you who knew about this, how you were feeling? Yeah, it's interesting. So I was quite open about it. Like, I think over summer, I actually was back home. And yeah, they did. I think it's interesting because remember, parents are definitely like feeders. Like we ate like a lot, a lot of rice and like, not much like nutritional food I wouldn't think because I was a really picky eater so like we were all kind of overweight and struggling with our diets in my family so even now there's always someone on a diet so it's actually quite normalized like being on a diet I think the only thing my mum was annoyed about was that I was quite crabby during this time like I was quite like irritable <laughs> something that kind of annoyed her but it is interesting like I was quite open about it and no one saw it as quite strange like what the behavior which I think is another thing of the time like normal. 2012. It was, yeah, it was totally normal. I think, like, even, I've been talking about my books a lot today, but my family's books arrived, they just moved country, and, like, there's just, like, a section of diet books. Like, that guy, I can't remember what his name is, but the book was literally called I Can Make You Thin. <laughs> and it was just this, like, bold, like, normal-looking random dude off the street who was like, <laughs> yeah, I've just come up with this whole hypnotic system that's just going to make you skinny and the saddest bit is like it wasn't to do with health at all mm. like I don't feel like any of it was to do with mm. wellness it was just like results and that is what I found so yes, mad about definitely. like what you just said in terms of you kind of had that rare thing of like you got there and then you were able to look back and be like and I'm still insecure like I think that's a really like rare insight to be able to have especially at such a young age yeah, that's why I thought it was quite interesting is that like, yeah, it didn't even take long for me to be like, oh, it's not all it's cracked up to be when this is meant to be like the last time I manage it. And it's like, oh, anticlimactic. I feel like there needs to be something in like schools or something about it. I mean, everyone has a relationship with food because, you know, we obviously eat food every day. So obviously have a relationship. But I feel like there's just not much education on like actually how to have a good relationship with food. And I think that it's really difficult. Like, I don't think might have changed too much since then. Like, I still... Like, I'd be lying if I said I'm not always dieting, but unlike then where I was like, oh, it'll change my life. I know it's not going to change my life, but it's just kind of like a habit. Mm. It's weird. I think that's a really good point. I think, like we said as well, you know, it's come back around to certain types of facial features or, you know, like certain types of surgeries, etc., which I think are totally up to, you know, anyone to decide whether they want to have those. But there are these new expectations that mean that, you know, even people who achieved the body archetype of 10 years ago now feel insecure about the body they have, you know, because the goalpost has just moved. It's changed. So it's like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's like, whenever it's going to be something external, it's, go it's going to be based on nothing and it's going to be picked from thin air. And if we got to a place where, like you said, it's more about your relationship with food or, you know, like how you feel when you actually have to navigate the world, not looking at yourself because you're not looking at yourself every day. Everyone else is looking at you. Like that would be a way better way to indoctrinate children. <laughs> I just remember from like being young, the whole thing was like, does my bum look big in this? And that was like a bad thing. It was like, I want to have the tiniest bum ever. It should not even be there. And then now it's like, okay, it's time to be badonk donk coke bottle. Like, how are we going to keep up? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's literally like clothing trends, but it's our bodies. It's actually wild. Yeah. There was another part that you mentioned in there that I wanted to talk about, which I've seen a lot of discussion about on Twitter. It was a line where you say, the people that say I'm fine as I am are so deluded or just want me not to catch up with them. And that second half, I think, is a super interesting idea where like, I don't know how to describe this sensitively. I'd seen a lot of conversation on Twitter about people who have lost weight or moved countries and they're pretty privileged in heavy quotation marks or like, you know, how society views them as attractive. When that currency changes, depending on the different spaces they're in, the people around them in their life have shifted accordingly to readjust or to disapprove of them kind of like moving up the social hierarchy. Yeah, there was a girl who like lost weight and went mm, back to, so I think, West Africa with a friend. And she kind of like, with this new body and with the fact that it's like a less white supremacist society, <laughs> she kind of became the quote unquote prettier friend. And her friendship with her friend just literally fell apart because her friend was so resentful and so like shook at this idea that like she kind of had this social currency that the other girl was used to. And I wondered, like, did you ever feel like your relationships changed when you lost weight or when you gained weight or shaped your social interactions at all? That's really interesting. I can kind of see it. Yeah, I think, and not with my, like, true friends who I'm still friends with now. Well, I think they obviously saw me in a different way, but not like, you know, they didn't treat me differently. But I do feel like in a sense, like, if I'm being honest, like, from when I was at school, like, I was the biggest person at my school and it was commented on often, like, all the time. So I think you get treated with a lot less respect when you're bigger, like especially at school, like, you know, people were just mean to me for literally no reason. And I think even some of my friends then, they weren't always nice to me. Like, it's like you're kind of the butt of the joke often. Or like, yeah, there's a bit of less respect, but it's like when I like lost weight, I feel like, firstly, like people from school, like boys who were just awful people were like messaging me then, like, at, like when I'd lost weight trying to talk to me when like you know like at school they called me like awful names and I like, laughed at me as if like you forget that because you've lost weight very strange trash <laughs> yeah like literally yes that was different I think yeah in terms of friendships like for my experience anyway like my true friends it didn't change for them but I did notice for like people who are like more acquaintances they like were more interested in you or me when I was like slimmer which it's really wrong because I think that's the problem is that you think if you lose a bit of weight and everyone starts complimenting you and they say like they're nicer to you, it makes you want to lose more weight because you can see actually that it's a different world when you're slim. Like it's working, you know, or it's doing what it's supposed to do. And I think that's the issue with most beauty standards. It's not that people want everyone to be in love with them. It's that mm. with the perceived beauty or the perceived attraction, like it colours every single interaction you have. And in turn, it colours like mm. whether you get brought in for a job interview or whether someone puts you forward for something or whether you get the table at the restaurant, like it literally colours everything. Yeah, And that's what I think people don't want to admit to because they don't want to admit that they might themselves mm. be perpetuating those yeah. hierarchies. Yeah, it's a privilege, like you were saying, definitely, isn't it? Like, yeah, you just get treated differently in every like instance when you look a certain way. I was reading Roxanne Gay's Hunger and just like the idea of like so fat phobia going way beyond like desirability, which is obviously an important aspect of our lives, but like things like not being able to get a seat on the plane and having to buy two, not being able to buy clothes, not being able to sit in certain chairs, like all these actual can't access our society because it's fat phobic parts, which I never really thought of before when I thought of fat phobia, especially when I was younger especially when you're dieting, all these... It's way more complex than we acknowledge. I read Hunger. It's such a good book. It's really powerful, isn't it? It's so good. But the clothes thing is also, like, interesting, like, to a level, isn't it? Like, if you get past, like, a size 16 or 18, there's just so many shops that, like, essentially you just can't shop in anymore. I think that's something that, like, I definitely noticed growing up because I was, like, an 18 when I was younger. And then it was, like, there were just some shops, like Topshop, for example, you just couldn't really shop in, like, things like that. I don't know if this is like problematic to say, but it's like one of those many things that if you don't experience it, I mean, it's your job to like empathise, but like as a human being who lives in a diverse planet, but if you haven't lived through it, it's often so hard to even see how difficult 
the world makes it because, you know, like the world is made for able-bodied people. The world is made for people of certain sizes. The world is made for people who look a certain way. And all of these things, like if you're from a family, like in my family, it was the same where, you know, there were people who were constantly struggling with weight. So I think you can sometimes be like, you have more sensitivity towards, you know, when someone's looking at you guys on the street and you're like, do you want me to fight them for you? Like these other things that if you've never experienced that or been close to someone who has, you're not even seeing it happen. Yeah, really interesting. Where you're at now, how's your relationship with yourself? Is it easy in, in our society in 2021? What does that kind of look like for you now? Yeah, I think i am definitely grown since that point. I definitely don't see losing weight as being the answer to happiness. And I think with the body positivity movement, it has made me a lot more accepting of my body. And I like that we see like influencers kind of, not all influencers, but I feel like the ones that I follow at least kind of just showing kind of like their body in its natural state. It's nice in the sense it can make you feel more confident about your body as well. So I definitely feel more comfortable. I think I've got like a lot of work to do still, to be honest. Like it was only reading this diary entry that I was like, I probably should work on myself a bit more because I'm still logging onto my fitness pal and putting in my calories. Like I'm not even losing weight, but I just do it out of this weird habit. Yeah, I think it's like we've grown in certain ways in terms of diet culture, for sure. But we've also, like we've said a million times, we've found all these other avenues to be constantly confronted by like comparisons. Like that's something that I find myself really having to tell myself off about in terms of even when it comes to the body positivity movement, you know, like if you're seeing certain people who are the same size as you but you're like but they don't like carry it on their face or like but their waist is smaller or you know but they look better in like this kind of outfit and I think it's because we're obviously confronted with so much material to like consume that you have to be really really intentional with how you curate it to not just end up like like it's a different measuring stick but it's still a measuring stick yeah it's a bit like the mirror thing isn't it if you think about it like the social media it's like do we need to be looking at other people's bodies as much as well as our own? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> All roads lead back to mirrors. <laughs> do you know how intimately I know some of these strangers' bodies? I'm like, they're tats. I know it. I, do you know what I mean? Like, genuinely. I feel like in a sense, I feel like I compare myself more now than I did growing up. Because then it felt like it was just like magazines. Whereas now, like, I don't know, I scroll my phone like 24-7. There's always something to compare. Like before you were kind of holding yourself up against the standard of your own experience, whereas now it's like, if there are all of these other people out there, like what makes me, you know, like how do I stand up against them? Yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking to be honest. And I guess like the moral of this is, <laughs> if there is a moral, is essentially we all are different. None of us have the same body. Like you were saying about kind of like us needing different foods, like depending on like the way our body works, like. I think we just need to accept that we are individual. It's really hard. I do this a lot, like always compare to someone else yeah. or like want to look a certain way. But like, I think the real work is just be accepting the way 100%. you look. There's this term called like body neutrality that a lot of people are pushing over body positivity at the moment, which yeah. is kind of like, and I think it's like a double-edged sword because it's like, we should all be in a place where we are neutral about our bodies because our bodies are like, you know, if I think about how much I use my body versus like, I use my brain and like my killer sense of humor and this <laughs> and, and my amazing taste in music like all of that is not existent in my corporeal form you know so there's an argument for not just being like yeah my body is really beautiful like all of our bodies are so beautiful but instead just kind of saying like does my body yeah it's my flesh sack like does it have to be beautiful in order to be valid but you can only have that if society as a whole decides to devalue beauty as like the number one standard of like how people move in the world because if we all just start thinking you know or if half of us start thinking it doesn't matter if my body's beautiful but the rest of the world is still operating on that basis then it doesn't really lead anywhere super substantial but it's so tricky yeah yeah it's a bigger problem than us isn't it but yeah i have read up on body neutrality as well i think I, like i read a book on it or something but it is really interesting i think it's a good point like I don't know, it feels a bit cynical in a sense, but I guess with body positivity, it's like, I am beautiful. Or like, if your stomach's a bit bigger, it's like, this is beautiful. But like, does it need to be beautiful? Like, can it not just this be is like, this is real. a body? Does it matter? <laughs> like, does it... Also, do you have to love it every day? Like, I feel like it's just kind of like, mm. it's okay to not feel great some days and other days. It's 
you can think you're the baddest bee out there. Like, I feel like being told all the time to feel one certain way about your body is not realistic and that's yeah. okay as well. It can make you feel like you're mm. falling short. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I guess it just makes you feel sad when you don't feel that way. And, like, our body fluctuates so much as well, like, especially as women. Like, I feel like, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but, like, we bloat so much and, like, it's just like we just can't, we're not going to look the same every single day, are we? Like, it's just... Mm. <laughs> That's a really good point, actually. Before I ask, like, one of the final questions, that is a, such a good point that I think it's actually helped me in my, like, weird journey with, like, I'm actually just going to give my body whatever it needs. Like, the way our hormones work in people who go through cycles like that, and I don't know whether mine's just particularly extreme during lockdown, but, like, there are days when all I want to eat is, like, spinach and kale. And then there are days where if... Everything I eat isn't packed to the brim with like glucose and fructose and all of that bad stuff. Like I just don't want to see it. And all I want to do is just consume for that whole day. And the idea that like when your brain is literally telling your body that that is what it needs to deny yourself something, even though you can have such a thing as balance or, you know, like you need it to actually sustain yourself or give life or whatever. It's just like so crazy to me that I can no longer entertain that. Like I'm going to binge out and then I'm going to do whatever I need. But I guess I wanted to ask, what advice would you give to your younger self who wrote this diary entry? If you could, what would you tell mm. her? I would tell her to kind of look more inward about why she wants to lose weight and what I think it will achieve. I think my advice would be basically to look inward and not to think it will solve all your problems. And actually it will cause further problems down the line. Yeah, I think I would just tell her to kind of look more inward and work on a better relationship with food so that present me would have a better relationship with food <laughs> but yeah I think I'd definitely just tell her to look inward and maybe talk to someone about it as well and more seriously than I was at the time I think at the time I kind of trivialized wanting to lose weight um but if maybe I had someone to talk to I could do it in a more healthy way mm. I think that's great and lastly what would your younger self think about where you are now? I think younger me would be really happy with where I am now. I think in terms of like my career and things like that, I think she'd be really pleased about where she is today. And yeah, I think, I think I'm a lot more confident than I was then. I think I've like grown a lot. So I think actually younger me would be really happy. Amazing. That's always the best answer. Good, yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was incredible. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed it. That was a really blindingly honest conversation almost. And one that I don't think a lot of people have all the mm. time. I think like bodies and self-esteem to a certain extent and just like weight in general are not talked about anywhere near enough. So yeah, I feel very like refreshed and slightly shell-shocked by like yeah. having such a candid conversation with Sarah. I feel like, yeah, as we were talking about, we've kind of just gone straight to wellness industry and body positivity without really, like, unpacking mm. what it was like to grow up when we did in the noughties. We've kind of just... So, yeah, it did take me by yeah. surprise, but I found it, you know, really cathartic to talk to you both about that. Yeah, I think you're so right. Like, I think we have totally skipped a step in terms of how we think we can heal our relationships with our bodies and with diet culture and just like fat phobia in general. We've skipped the step of owning like how we feel right now and like unpacking why it is that we feel that way and who and what made us feel that way. And we've gone straight to like, but you can just love it anyway and like post it everywhere. <laughs> and now. <laughs> if you don't post it everywhere, then you still hate yourself. <laughs> it's like, Literally. Yeah, you're right. It's so crucial to do the work of like, no, like, I feel like this because of these things and, like, I need to tell myself that's not okay. But also, like, it's going to take a second to unlearn all that stuff. And that's what was yeah. so great about Sarah. She wasn't even like, and now I'm amazing and, like, I eat chocolate every day and it's the best thing ever. She's like, no, I still need to do work and, like, I still have a way to go. Yeah. And kudos for her for reading that. I think, we don't, like, it's really refreshing when someone mm. reads something really personal, really honest, like, that you don't yeah. expect anyone to hear on a podcast like 10 years later or something yeah. yeah definitely super appreciative of Sarah for like starting that conversation and trusting us all to get involved 
This has been an II Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. You can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for Gaudem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue, and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media at Gaudemzine for the latest independent news and culture. Or visit our online website, which is gal-dem.com. Don't forget, if you loved this episode of Growing Up With Galdem, be sure to subscribe, rate and leave a review. We'll catch you on the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.